Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, April 6th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, a supplier for Rivian and Bosch faces insolvency. Walmart plans its own EV charging network. And new range boosting EV battery technology is ready for mass production. Plus, part two of Jamie's conversation at the New York Auto Show with Stellantis North America chief Mark Stewart who says the automaker sees a path to making its EVs profitable in the U.S. What we've already demonstrated in Europe across the 20 plus models there is they are as profitable as the ICE powertrains in Europe. So that gives us a very good positive feel or peace of mind, if you will, that we'll be able to do the same on future platforms. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Supplier Unique Fabricating Incorporated faces insolvency after failing to make loan payments and dealing with allegations of improperly reporting finances. That's on top of being investigated for alleged labor rights violations at a manufacturing plant in Mexico. Customers for the suburban Detroit supplier of plastics, rubber, and foam include Rivian, Bosch, and other automakers. Unique Fabricating told investors late last week that its financial statements for November were being investigated for inaccuracy, according to a form filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The filing says, as a result, the company would be unable to file its financial report for the fiscal year ended December 31st. That is a major red flag for investors. Walmart plans to have its own network of electric vehicle charging stations for public use by 2030. The new fast charging stations will be placed at thousands of Walmart and Sam's Club stores alongside nearly 1,300 chargers that it already operates as part of a deal with Electrify America. Walmart's more than 5,000 stores and Sam's Club warehouses are located within 10 miles of about 90% of Americans. After 12 years of development, a new category of range-boosting battery technology is moving into mass production for electric vehicles. Sela is a Silicon Valley-based battery materials company with more than $930 million in funding. It says it has finalized a mass manufacturing process for the first silicon-based anodes. The company is calling the new material Titan Silicon, CEO Jeden Berdachevsky tells Bloomberg News that it's in the later stages of qualification with automakers before a new factory begins production late next year. Berdachevsky told our own Pete Bigelow last month on Shift, a podcast about mobility, that replacing graphite in EV batteries with silicon significantly increases energy density. When you replace the graphite with our technology, you can get a 20 to 40% increase in energy density, which can translate to longer range. You can also get dramatically faster recharge times. We can deliver for customers 15 minutes, even less in the future. Sela's first customer is Mercedes, which will use Titan anodes in its long-range EQG SUV starting in early 2025. And Jeep is upping the comfort and technology in the 2024 Wrangler as the venerable nameplate spars with the Ford Bronco. The refreshed Wrangler SUV is getting a quieter cabin and power seats in the front row on top trim levels, standard wireless Apple CarPlay, and Android Auto, a 12.3-inch touchscreen in the center stack, and the Uconnect 5 infotainment system. The vehicle debuted Wednesday here at the New York Auto Show. 
Consumers can order it now, and it's expected to arrive at U.S. Jeep dealerships later this year. And those are today's headlines. So, Kel, you got a full day to check out the New York Auto Show yesterday. Uh, You know, we're about to hear from Mark Stewart of Stellantis, which is one of kind of two of the major automakers that are sort of making a big presence there in New York. But what have you seen and sort of, you know, who has sort of the biggest presence? Who's making the biggest splash? It's kind of like what Jamie had uh, described earlier this week, how, you know, the New York show is usually the big show that you'd see the big European reveals. So, you know, the Porsches, the Audis, Mercedes-Benz, things like that. But this has definitely been the Hyundai and Stellantis show for the most part. I would say moreover Hyundai than anything, but those two, I would say, have the biggest presence. But all in all, the New York show has been a great show. It hasn't been disappointing at all. Well, been enjoying your updates, especially if anyone uh, wants to see on the ground what's going on. Kel has been doing some great work on Automotive News' Instagram page, so check that out, too. Absolutely. Coming up, the second part of Jamie's conversation with Stellantis North America COO Mark Stewart. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Yesterday, we brought you the first half of Jamie's conversation with Mark Stewart, who runs the show for Stellantis here in North America. They talked about new models that debuted in New York this week, as well as disappointing sales results in the first quarter. In the second part of the conversation, they talk about how to make Stellantis's EV models profitable and about Stewart's reaction to the UAW's recent leadership election, which saw reform candidates oust establishment officials. I have to ask you about the UAW. Uh, Sean Fain got elected president last week, finally. And um, are you concerned that he and his team have such a belligerent attitude or that their rhetoric has been so hot that it's going to be hard to reach a deal or get anything ratified by the members? I think the past is the, is the best predictor of the future. And what, what we have shown together and what's great is Sean grew up in the house of Stellantis brands, if you will, with different nameplates, as did Rich Boyer, and want to give them a big congratulations for both of them for winning. And uh, it's nice as they, they know the workings of the, of the companies, particularly Stellantis, because they grew up in Stellantis. Looking at the last 10 years, since coming out of bankruptcy for us, the hand-in-hand partnership that we've had together with UAW of, of being quite the underdog into being you know, a force to be reckoned with in a very humble way, but a very proud way, We've done that through working together, and we feel, I feel very confident, we feel very confident we're going to find ways to do that. And case in point, uh, it's uh, absolutely, I think everybody was really pleased, I know we were, when our UAW members had you know, 14760 bucks in the profit share check, more than the other guys. Yeah. And, uh, and that's because of our partnership and working together. So I really feel like that uh, you know, they're getting settled into their new roles, uh, they understand how we work. and. And we all know we've got to we've got to be viable together. We win together. That's how we do it. Yeah, I mean there have been successes, but obviously you know not without 
damage. I mean, people going to prison on both sides, both from FCA and from the UAW. Uh, so not a perfect track record of history there. No, absolutely not. But that's been many years, right? And there's been a, a lot of a lot of things that have changed, obviously, in the UAW. But but at the heart of the matter, it's about our people on the shop floor, right? It's a, it's about the Solantis family members. And from that standpoint, the Solantis family members are all committed. We're all committed together for the company to be successful. And I, I am absolutely confident we're going to do that together. The issue of Belvedere uh, was raised several times. I think there's a, seems like there's a lot of anxiety in the UAW about its fate. Uh, yeah. I mean, it seems like Illinois is eager to provide assistance. We know the, federal, you know the U.S. government is eager to help companies make investments, especially for EVs. Are you still hopeful that Belvedere has a future beyond yeah, this so we, it, It's the reason we, we absolutely took that decision to idle, right? That architecture was quite old, looking to the competitiveness, lack of chips, the, the future for EV. We are very diligently going after finding other use cases for that plant. But what, what we're very proud of, we had jobs throughout the network. So every one of our UAW members was offered a job as close to home as possible so that there was, no one had to be laid off if they, if they didn't want to, uh, if they wanted to relocate, they absolutely could. Right. And, and, and many, many have. Right, right. So I know we're getting a little short on time, but I don't want to forget to ask you about uh, battery plants. Yeah. You know, uh, two down, still two to go. Is four still probably the right amount? Two down, two to go. Uh, later this year, we should be in the right position uh, to, to announce our third one. Uh, we're going through that process right now. It'll be a little bit later in terms of the announcing of a fourth one. Okay. But uh, our anticipation is you know, late 26, early 27 of kind of starting and ramping into full production in 27 for that third plant. For the third plant. Right. Of course, uh, you know, I woke up this morning to see the Wall Street Journal story <laughs> that you might be uh, partnering with BMW and Panasonic. Any comment on that? No comments right now. We're still, we're still talking with all the, all the potential partners. So. Do you have any opinion on what kind of chemistry? You already have two different partners for the two plants announced. Um, this, if it was Panasonic, it would be a third one with a different type of battery. Does, does any of that matter to you, or are they all uh, interchangeable enough? No, it really... The designs need to be such that we're, we're able to interchange within the vehicle sets, right? And so what, what's really important to us, and Carlos has shared this in the past as well, is, is that we have the ability in our plants, whether it's joint venture plants, whether it's purchase batteries, either way, of being able to very easily change to the next generation of chemistry. Because next gens of chemistry are going to give range, hopefully going to give better affordability. And it's all about the affordability for our customers to have the products that are affordable. And, uh, and as we shared, in an ideal state, right, doubling that density of, of the battery chemistry and so that the batteries are smaller, they're lighter, they're, they're more efficient in cost, uh, in the end will help all the consumers be able to afford that and be comfortable in that tech. You, uh, you know probably a lot more, you know the engineering a hundred times more than I do, but I mean, the platforms that, are, that you guys have, the four Stella platforms, are they are, they're adaptable to various battery technologies. Yeah, so between small, medium, large, and, and the frame, all of them are multi-energy platforms, which is great. So it, it means that during this transitionary time, because even as we get to 2030, yeah, we're, we're anticipating 50 plus percent BEVs here in the North America market or the US market, but 50% are gonna be classic powertrains and hybrid powertrains. So those designs are absolutely interchangeable as we have retooled the factories, such as we started Mac plant, 
So we've retooled Jefferson, as we'll be doing with other plants as well. They're capable of handling a classic ICE uh, power uh, plug-in hybrid or hybrid, as well as a battery, all down the same line. Do you see an ongoing role for plug-in hybrids? I mean, the 4 by es doing well, but it seems like it's really, like you guys and Toyota, it seems like are the only ones really in the, yeah. the, the BHEV game. I would refer to the consumers on it, Jamie, which says we're sold out of Wranglers again this year of every battery we can get. So we, we are humbly proud, shall we say, that number one selling plug-in hybrid, and there's a reason for that. It, it eliminates range anxiety. Right. You get the best of all worlds. For the folks running around town, They rarely ever have to gas up. Somebody's on a longer trip, they've got peace of mind they can get there. And I think at this time, for a lot of our consumers, for a lot of the market, it's it's a comfortable technology that people are like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, it's, it is so doable, especially even for a one car family, yeah, right? And that's absolutely. always kind of been the thing so far. Right. To have an EV, you have to have two or three vehicles and a garage you can charge it in. Yeah. Uh, but the 4xE and other uh, plug-in hybrids are just so much more flexible. It is, and we're, you know, as, as I mentioned before, we're, we're scaling Grand Cherokee 4xE right now. Uh, it has very quickly moved into the number two position for, for plug-in hybrid with Pacifica right behind that. And then we've got, uh, we, so we have two new friends coming to the market this year, right? The Dodge Hornet is, is coming in an ICE and a plug-in hybrid. And Alpha Tonali, so the first of our new Alphas in, in quite a while, is, uh, is coming in a plug-in hybrid as well. So we're, we're excited to add those two to the lineup as well. So in the electrification, I mean, I know Carlos Tavares has talked about this in different venues, but how do you guys work through that imposing cost hurdle? What are the, how do you try to approach it? as a team, as a management team? It's just that relentless focus on cost of, of finding things and finding ways, whether it's our transformation cost in the plant, it's the the amount of diversity that, or complexity is a better way to say it, across the, the individual nameplate lineups, make things simpler for the plants to run, have less parts, be able to have greater scale. And, and I think the, the greatest thing of, of two smaller companies coming together into a pretty pretty sizable powerhouse is having those four common platforms makes a huge difference in terms of our ability to bring things to market in a much more affordable way from a capital standpoint, engineering R&D standpoint, and then ultimately the, the, the cost structure that goes into those. So we've got the volume behind it. You're hopeful, you're optimistic, you can get to make profitable EVs without needing some magic breakthrough like solid-state batteries or anything like that? So we you know, we actually we have great, great governance on that. Every month we sit with Carlos and, and each of our teams around the world and we're looking at what is the profitability of a battery electric platform compared to a plug-in hybrid, compared to a classic ICE. And what we've already demonstrated in Europe across the 20-plus models there is they are as profitable as the ICE powertrains in Europe. So that gives us a, a very, very good positive feel or peace of mind, if you will, that we'll be able to do the same on future platforms. But uh, but the situation's a little different. I mean, at least it doesn't mean you feel like problem solved. We've won. No, we've got, no. A... problem never solves. This is automotive <laughs> world. You always got to dig at it every year, every every minute of every day of every year. It's how we're wired, right? It's as an industry, that's it. It's about improving cost efficiency and everything that we do. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news reporter Vince Bond Jr. and Kurt Nagel of Crane's Detroit Business for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, suppliers, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. 
Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Steve Kramer, Vice President of Product at Pay Near Me, who says auto lenders should embrace QR codes and other quick payment methods. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.